Hey everyone, my name is Nick. And my name's Kat. Thanks for listening to our podcast, Made for You and Me, an educational and entertaining podcast about the history, geology, wildlife, and other fun facts within America's best idea, the national parks. But not America's best idea. Well, it is still America's best idea, but it's not our national parks today. We're leaving America today. We're gone. For the first time (laughs) in all of 2020, we're able to leave America. It was nice. For a moment online, (laughs) looking at videos. Apparently, the New York Times just did a whole series on, like, how to travel without traveling. So, like, different places, the movies, the music, and the food that you should do, which, good for them. Good for them. It's not the same. Silver lining. Yeah. No, that's good for them. Uh, But it's almost over. And speaking of Cat, 2021 is just around the river bend. (laughs) Uh, today is Tuesday, December 29th, so um, by the time this is published, it'll still be 2020, but um, only a couple days left. Right. Yeah. Thank goodness. Thank the Lord. Not that it's going to change anything with the year change, but... But also, I just feel like, you know, mentality, mm-hmm. just, you know, I'll take it. Uh, Kat, how... Do you have any feelings about keep wanting to say the national parks do you have any feelings about new year's resolutions um so a few years ago i started doing the one word instead of the new year's resolution okay yeah and this year was particularly good because there's not a word in the english language for what i wanted so i wanted something that was trust your instincts okay and so we came up with trustings. And it has served me very well this year. There are lots of different examples of things that I was just like, I'm going for it uh-huh. because I feel like it's right. And it served me very well. So I haven't come up with my one word this year, but it is going to be something along the lines of like, okay, so I wake up at like between two and four every single night. And the only thoughts in my head are like all the things I've messed up in my entire life. Oh. And I know a lot of people do this, mm-hmm. but I've got to I've got to break that habit somehow. And yeah. so it's going to be something dealing with that. There's okay. got to be more positivity in my subconscious. Mm-hmm. So I don't oh. know what that means. Good but for you. Yes. What about you? Good goal. Um, well, I'll just add, add on to what you were saying. Yeah, I think that that's like... We yeah you're right we all do that mm-hmm. but it's very important to live in a healthy mindset and you just gotta let go of those things like you might have like done something really silly or like even said something mean years ago and you dwelling on it is not gonna fix that or make anything better and it's I mean I know everyone does it and it this probably isn't the right word to use but it's slightly narcissistic of all of us to think that someone else cares at all you're so right. <laughs> about what we do. You are so right. You yeah. don't wake up and think about what other people did. I really don't. Ever. I can't tell you one other person's mistake in any meeting ever. Wow. Well, maybe a few, but those are exceptions. But not nearly <laughs> to the extent that you think of your own. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's such a good way to put that and such a good thing to realize. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, I'm here with you by your side i'll support you through all that thanks appreciate that and i think that you and i are very similar in that way too of like we you know might mess up one little thing internally and then we're like oh my gosh i'll never live that down and then no one else could ever recall it right ever again yeah well and that's what 
I mean, that's what makes people strive for better and more. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure there are people out there who don't do that who are probably much happier, but not <laughs> not quite at our level. Sorry, people. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's really exciting. Let me know uh, what your one word is Well, I be. still want to know what your resolution is going to be. So my resolutions, I have never, like, stuck to resolutions because uh, I've never, I've never like really made them, but made like you know good ones. But this year, and I've mentioned it just a few times on the podcast. <laughs> this year, my resolution was to read. But oh wait, <laughs> wait. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It was to read a book a month, and there were some other New Year's resolutions I had of things to do like throughout the community or like just with myself or new experiences to which have 2020 which screwed up. that didn't didn't happen um but that's totally fine so i have five new year's resolutions <laughs> that i would like you to hold me accountable to as well as all of our listeners okay um okay. the first one is to again read a book a month because mm-hmm. i've really enjoyed that and then the second one is to become more flexible and stretch more Oh, like literally, not literally like... <laughs> become more flexible okay. just to take care of my yes. ligaments and tendons and muscles. That's a good one. And not let them get too stiff. Oh my! I read the number three and I was like, what does that mean? My third one is to stop bending forward so much. So to take care of my lower back. So every time like I pick something up or tie my shoes and especially having a dog who like I'm in his face all the time and like get down on his level, like scooping his food and pouring it into his bowl and just like so many different things that you don't like really think about consciously until you realize like, oh my gosh, like my face has been like down a lot today you were in your 20s you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly so I, I gotta i gotta start thinking about this you now very concerned about things yeah. that so like whenever i i was not concerned so like about. whenever i like i need to reach behind furniture to like plug something in to reach that outlet i'm gonna get on my knees and reach for it that way and every time i put on my shoes i'm going to sit down and put on my shoes and tie my shoes instead of just like leaning forward ask any chiropractor they will say you are absolutely right nick absolutely right. i think you are absolutely right and it is good to start habits early so that i, I really think like having once you're 80 a dog is, it'll matter <laughs> well it won't matter as much because i'm starting now um but i really think that having a dog and makes me think about that in a way that maybe pet owners or dog non-dog owners wouldn't really think about okay yeah number four number four don't buy any new clothes oh there you go i love that and new has an asterisk because if i do have to buy or if there's an occasion where i do buy new clothes i don't want them to be new new i'll do my very best to thrift Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's what I thought you were saying from the beginning. Don't, oh, no. Yes. I yeah. literally don't need any new clothes. Okay. <laughs> but if I am going to buy clothes, they're going to be from a thrift no store. No accumulation. And if there is accumulation, it will be thrifted. Yeah, it'll be thrifted. And number five is to run five miles a week. Oh, that's also very nice. Mm-hmm. So I signed up for a half marathon last uh, year, and yeah. it was delayed because of COVID. So now I have to retrain for a half marathon in the next three months. So if you want a running buddy. Oh, I'll hit you up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The reason that's actually my, one of my resolutions is because I was, I saw pictures of myself from over two years ago, whenever I ran my half marathon and I was like, 
oh my gosh, I was so thin. And not like unhealthily thin, but I definitely want to um, trim down a little bit. And running just five miles a week will take care of that. Okay. Running is like, it's not fun, but it's it's effective for sure. So anyway. Do and I didn't, do I didn't even know about your half marathon. It'll be my fifth. What? I know. I didn't know that at all. It's because I have such a runner's body. Wow. <laughs> you just assume. You just assume wow. that that's, yeah. yeah. I, I had no know. idea, Kat. That's very impressive. Mm-hmm. I ran one and said, never again. Yeah. I always say never again. I do. Okay. I know we weren't going to talk to you. can cut this out if you <laughs> it's want okay. to. It's um, okay. My first half marathon, I was so proud of myself for actually running because I didn't train. But I was a baby. Oh, wow. I was like... I was actually turning 21 the next day. So I was 20 years old, running my half marathon, didn't train, got to the finish line. I was so excited. I had like, you know, I had a second shirt on when I started that I had taken off. I had it over my head. I was like cheering myself on the whole way down like the, I guess, the the finale, the last little bit. Anyway, long story short, no one cheered. Like it was like crickets. And I was like, what's going on? And then I like sat down, which I shouldn't have done, but I was like huffing and puffing. And I sat down and all of a sudden I hear like a roar. And I was like, if this person doesn't have like two artificial legs, I'm going to (laughs) be pissed. And it was the winner of the marathon came in like seconds after me. They ran twice as far oh, as I did. Oh, of the marathon. Yes. Oh. I was like, well, I guess that's what everyone was waiting for, not <laughs> me so. and my slow butt. But oh, they almost lapped you. But also, <laughs> I'm not one to. Me, I'm not one to to say that's not impressive. I mean, I think at any pace, running 13 miles is just is a big deal. So I agree, but yeah, good on you. Another. Okay. Well. Should we end story time and get into it? Let's do it. All right. So as Kat already mentioned, today we are going international to Chile specifically, and we will be going to Torres del Paine National Park. (laughs) Yay! Yay! So that was my attempt at um, saying it not like a white boy, uh, but from here on out, we will be saying Torres del Paine National (laughs) Park. (laughs) Uh, So... Have you ever felt completely insignificant in comparison to nature? Well, get ready to feel precisely that way among turquoise waters, glaciers, and towering granite horns of the Torres del Paine National Park. (laughs) The jaw-dropping landscape of this eighth wonder of the world are humbling indeed. A journey through the wilds of Torres del Paine National Park is no small feat. To fully experience this rugged and beautiful landscape, it requires driving, hiking, horseback riding, and boating in unpredictable conditions. But the rewards are unparalleled. Sunsets on the lagoon, hikes to the edge of glaciers, and sweeping views that will get your heart racing. Racing. So I've never been to South America, actually. So I've never been to Torres del Paine National Park. But just the... Google images mm-hmm. are jaw dropping. Yes. It's like unbelievable. It really is. It's um it looks fake almost. Yeah, you're right. And it does not look like South America as you would think of it traditionally. Yeah, you're right. It's like it's like otherworldly, um, but so, so beautiful. Outstandingly gorgeous. Very blue. Yeah, very actually, that's one of my fun facts. <laughs> 
Is that one of your fun facts? No. I Should I just you, say it now? Then? I, I kind of know now which fun facts you're going to pick out, so I have to go searching for new ones. Oh, well, I'll just, <laughs> I'll just throw one out there now. When you said very blue, actually, Torres is the Spanish word for towers, and Pain is the, I don't know how to say this word, Tehulche word for blue, mm-hmm. which is a native um, people's language. So in two different languages, it's it's blue towers. Yep. That's so cool. Um, but yeah, it's very blue, both the mountains themselves and the water. Ah, so cool. <laughs> so anyway, it's a national park encompassing mountains, glaciers, lakes, and rivers in southern Chilean Patagonia. So... I did not know what Patagonia really was before Same. this. So other than the famous clothing brand, it is an area of South America. And there is Argentinian Patagonia and Chilean Patagonia. And Torres del Paine National Park is within Chilean Patagonia. The Cordillera del Paine is the centerpiece of the park, which we'll probably talk about more just like these three random really cool peaks. Um, it's part of the national park system of protected forested areas of Chile. It's about 700 square miles, roughly the size of Houston, Texas. It is one of the largest and most visited parks in Chile. In 2019, it had 305,000 visitors, which really isn't that many. I mean, compared to some of the ones we've talked about, some of the most popular ones in the United States, uh, it's really not that many. About 54% of the visitors every year are foreign tourists. Right, and it it's not close to an airport it's not close to anything else so that is impressive that people take that long of a trip you're right to go see it but worth it worth it uh it's also part of the end of the world route which is a tourist scenic route that's Hmm. capitalized end of the world so i would actually like to do an episode on that in the future yeah i've never heard of that uh because as we'll mention later it's very close to the end of the world to the edge of the continent, very close to another continent. The park is one of the 11 protected areas of the Magallanes region in Chilean Antarctica, together with four national parks, three national reserves, and three national monuments. These protected forested areas comprise about 51% of the land of the region, so a solid chunk of the land. The Torres del Paine are the distinctive three granite peaks of the Paine Mountain Range, or Paine Massif. From left to right, they are known as Torres de Agonisti, Torres Central, and Torres Monsino. They extend up to 8,200 feet above sea level and are joined by the Cuernos del Paine. The area also boasts valleys and rivers, lakes and glaciers. The well-known lakes include Gray Lake, Pejo Lake, and a few more that I'm not going to even try to pronounce. The end. Right? I'm so sorry. They're, I mean, they're <laughs> tough. They're tough, yeah. And I didn't do most of my normal Googling. Okay, so today, Kat, my history lesson is fairly short. And I think that, well, one thing that I want to iterate is this park really speaks for itself just in the sheer beauty and i think one of the reasons that we wanted to start this podcast is to highlight some of the more behind the scenes unseen unhighlighted aspects of national parks but that's not really needed in this park you just like go on instagram 
and, you're, and there it you're is. floored. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's just that incredible. Um, so I'll be brief with the history. About 12,000 years ago, the first band of a forager society came to southern Patagonia. Years later, this group became known as the Anoakank, or Tehulaches. So sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, but I'm doing my best. And those became known um, in layman's terms as people of the South. These bands belonging to early man never occupied the territories of present-day Torres del Paine National Park, but did live in areas adjacent to the park. To date, the oldest record that holds human life inside of this area is 6,500 years old. From 1870 to 1890, Chileans explored the area both independently and officially on behalf of the Chilean government. The first tourist planned trip to the park was actually a Scottish writer named Lady Florence Dixie, and in her book that she published in 1880, uh, she gave one of the first descriptions of the area and referred to the three towers that we've already mentioned as Cleopatra's Needles. Even today, it hasn't been like fully explored. Yeah. I mean, they don't know a lot of the heights of the peaks still. Like they know the, the biggest heights, but they don't know like all the peak heights because wow. people just don't study it that much. So yeah, I'm sure if no one was really talking about it or truly living there or something like that, that um, it got complicated. Yeah, people say dibs on the uh, The park was established on May 13, 1959, as Parque Nacional de Turismo Lago Grey, otherwise known as Grey Lake National Tourism Park, and was given its presence its present name in 1970. In 1976, British Mountaineer and two tourist Paine rangers uh, pioneered the Circuit Trail, which circles the Paine Massive. And that's a proper noun, capital Paine, capital Massive. In 1977, uh, Guido Monzino donated 30,000 acres to the Chilean government when its definitive limits were established. Which is a lot of land. Mm -hmm. So thanks, Guido. That's huge. The park was designated a World Biosphere Reserve by UNESCO in 1978. Kat, there are actually parts of history to this park are actually the interesting number of fires Mm -hmm. that have taken place. So I'm going to cover a few of those. And then we can probably take a break because my history portion will be done. So in 1985, a tourist started a fire that burned about 58 square miles of the park. The blaze affected the areas east and south around Lake Pehoe. Then in February 2005, an accidental fire started by a Czech backpacker lasted for about 10 days and destroyed 60 square miles of the park, including two square kilometers of native forests. But the Czech government did offer aid, and they helped out with that fire and donated the equivalent of a million U.S. dollars into fire restoration or into restoration efforts. It's like, what were you doing by yourself just starting a little fire? Were you like, was it your birthday and you had like a little candle by yourself? Um, and also that was in 2005. So like the internet existed, you could plan very well where to stay and what to do. So, but also how like embarrassing would that be for you to start a fire in a foreign country? And because of you, your government has to pay a million dollars. That's very great that they did. There are a few more though. I'm not done. Mm -hmm. In February, 2011, a tourist caused a fresh blaze after lighting a campfire in an unauthorized area. Fortunately, the fire was controlled by rain and catastrophic consequences were avoided. 
but the tourist was expelled from the national park. <laughs> Rightfully so. That same year, in December, a fire was caused by another visitor who had tried to burn some toilet paper. <laughs> like... The devastation in this case was far worse. Volunteers from all over the world offered their assistance. CONAF, that's acronym C-O-N-A-F, the government agency in charge of managing protected areas in Chile, was tackling the fire until March 8th, 2012. So almost three months. This burned about 68 square miles of the reserve, destroying about 36 square kilometers of native forest and affecting most of the areas, again, around Lake Pehoe. The Israeli government sent reforestation experts to the zone and has committed to donate trees to replant the affected area. Excellent. Which again, great, but so embarrassing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All of these, I mean, the, these people. We just uh, built like that fire pit in the backyard mm-hmm. and it's way too deep because we don't want to go through that. Yeah, like. but, but that's that's fine. Dig it deep. <laughs> um, yeah, so unfortunately there have been some fires. However, Recent paleo environmental studies performed within the park do indicate that fires have been a frequent phenomenon uh, the last 12,000 years, yeah. which we've talked about before. Fires are definitely a natural part of life and growth in nature, but humans shouldn't be the ones to start them. No. Nope. Don't light your toilet paper lighting on Lighting your toilet paper oh, on come on, Hold on, you didn't have to tell anyone that. <laughs> Yeah. No, I think actually I think in my research they were which is also weird because in such a huge park they were caught by a ranger lighting their toilet paper on fire. And then the ranger wasn't like let's put this out right now. It like they let it get to a three month wildfire situation. I I don't know either. However it happened, it started with someone trying to light their toilet paper on fire. So so silly, so unfortunate. Don't do that, y'all. Well, that's all I have on history. Do you want to take a short break and then come back? That sounds great. Okay. See you soon. Bye. Greetings. Greetings. We're back with our international special of Torres del Paine National Park. Torres del Paine. Torres del Paine. Torres del Paine. In Chile. <laughs> it is. Kat, it is your turn to talk about nature. Nature. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> Kat's nature corner. Um... All right, so Nick wasn't as shocked as I was about this, but after doing some research, I was like, it is very cold in this national park. What's and going on? Yeah, so I looked it up, and if you didn't know this, like I didn't know, the tip of South America is like very close to Antarctica. Close. Like real close. And in fact, the average temperatures in this park range between freezing and about 60 degrees Fahrenheit. So <clears throat> if you were thinking of some South American tropical area, that's not what we're looking at here. Um, yeah, even during summer, it doesn't get hotter than 60s. Yeah. Which it's down there. Okay, so then also think about this. Their summer because they're in the southern hemisphere is right. the opposite of our summer. So just lots of things to think about. Lots um, of things that I I had to expand my very very little bird brain yeah. to get there. Us North Americans, we equate <laughs> south with warm, and that is not the case. Not at with all with this park or with South America. So <laughs> I I I can't believe I even I brought a map. But I'm not going to go through it. Anyway, um, so 
The entire west side of the park is actually covered by the Patagonia ice field, as we mentioned before, but the rest of the park offers a diversity of landscape types, including forest shrublands, Indian deserts, and the pampas like Patagonia steppe. So, and it is steppe. S-T-E-P-P-E. I looked it up. Oh, it's pronounced step. Okay. It's basically that furry desert that we were talking about before. It just looks okay. like a desert with like minimal weird looking shrubbery. Step. Um, <laughs> yes. So regardless of its climate um, and temperatures, there is a lush animal, bird, and plant life. So another fascinating part of my research was that one of my favorite scientists, Charles Darwin, actually did a lot of exploration and made some profound discoveries in Torres del Paine. He was on his voyage to the Galapagos, and um, his first paper ever published actually detailed the importance of the Chilean earthquake caused by the three simultaneous volcanoes. Um, and how it affected the geography of the area. So when the volcanoes and the earthquake hit, everything, all the land kind of moved up. So he was seeing um, ocean shells and fossils above land for the first time. And so I just thought that was really fascinating. And so if you're like me and you're interested in the study of evolution and the way that geology changes over time, um, this may be your step after reading The Origin of Species or something of that nature. I'm not going to go into any more detail, but you will hear his name a few more times in this episode because he was there for so long, which I had no idea. <clears throat> so, ready for some aminals? Ready. All right. So, I wanted to start off, as usual, with probably the poster child of animals for the park and for Torres del Pine, pain. It's the guanaco. So the guanaco is an animal that is very closely related to llamas and alpacas. And it's the last remaining place um, where this, the truly wild guanacos can be found. They're so cute. They're, okay, that's okay. So I have a love for the no drama llama and appreciation for the alpaca, but the guanaco, just like most of the animals that you find in this particular park, are just a cuter version of everything. <laughs> and I don't know why they're all cuter they're than so like. cute. Yes. It, doesn't it have like a sweeter face? Yeah. Than either the alpaca or the llama? It's just, it's petiter too. Which petiter. Which might make it a little bit, a little cute, cuter. Um, so the guanaca is about four feet tall at shoulder height and can be up to seven feet tall because, you know, like llamas and alpacas, they have that really long neck. So uh-huh. if you've never seen a llama or alpaca, maybe you've seen a horse and a giraffe. I if hope so. mix those <laughs> together, that's what they look like. They look like a horse with a giraffe neck, basically. Yeah. Um, they're actually the biggest land animals in South America. So oh. they look petite, but not so much. Well, maybe just... South American. How high did you say? Or how uh, tall seven you? feet at their head. Oh, yeah. I don't. Maybe it's because in all the pictures that I'm looking at, there are these massive, huge mountains behind <laughs> right. them, so it just makes them look a little bit smaller. <laughs> the landscape does. Um, <laughs> it them a little. Ruin bit. the scale. <laughs> um, so, regardless of how big they are, they still have very few defense mechanisms. Mm. So, they run away from predators. They can run 35 miles per hour. Get it. And that is over the rocky terrain of the Patagonia. So, they're pretty they're awesome. <laughs> so, they also have thicker skin 
on their neck, which I am super jealous of. Anything oh. that has thick skin, <laughs> yeah. because we all need it. Especially on Phil- my neck. <laughs> Philosophically. Like the amount of like, razor burn I get or just... Same here. <laughs> wrinkles. Uh, I need some thick skin on my neck. Seriously. We all need just some thick skin in general. <laughs> Different from the llama and the alpaca, their color doesn't really change very much. So they're all very light brown. Mm-hmm. Um, they have really, really soft fur, fur, almost comparable to cashmere. So they have been hunted for their pelts, especially to babies. Bummer. I think it said like 13,000 were killed in like five years. Ew. Um and they're used for clothing, shoes, and other things that you make pelts from. But there's plenty of them. They live in herds. Good, 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 good. And the herds um, are mostly female because we know how males in the animal kingdom are with their space and their ladies. So it's like one to every five female to male. Yeah. Male to female. Male to one to five. One to five. Male, male to, to female. female. Got there it. we go. Follow. So check out the guanacos. They're cute. The next animal is another cute version of another animal, but this one is um, actually called Darwin's Rhea. So going back to the Darwin thing, there's a few things named after him. Uh, This bird is also known as the Lesser Rhea. I'm not sure why, because I didn't think that comparing Rhea's is the vibe that we wanted to go into 2021 with. So I was like, you know what? Lesser, greater, I don't care. Um, They're closely related to the ostrich, the emu, or the kiwi. And I didn't think about, like, kiwis are, like, land birds, too. They're just really small and have cuter names. But um, these look a lot more like an ostrich or an emu. They do. And when they're babies, they actually look a lot like ducks. Oh, they're so cute. So babies are about um, a hand high, like uh-huh. a human hand high. Okay. Um, but it's not an, adults. Not adults. How big are adults? Hmm. Oh, did I stump you? Hold on. Let me check out my other thing real quick. Check it out. Body length can be up to 95 centimeters. Okay. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Someone convert that and post it in our social media, and we'll send you a sticker. (laughs) Okay, so we have no idea. Back to the Rhea. Um, But before we go back to the Rhea, actually, um, it's important to note that this park does have over 100 bird species, which at that point, at this point, and all of our podcasting, I'm not that impressed. I guess so. Because I feel like all of the parks are like, oh, there's over 100 bird species. So if you're a bird watcher, good for you. You're just a lucky person. Anywhere you go, you can find bird species. However, (laughs) birds. Birds. The Rhea are very fast runners, they're faster than the. The last animal that I've forgotten its name already. The Guanaco. The, gua- the Guanaco. The Guanaca. The Guanaca. <laughs> I have it written right after this. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, so they run 37 miles per hour, and they use their larger than average wingspan to help them gain speed. Oh. But <laughs> the Rhea runs like sideways so like i don't know you may have been too young and most people probably don't remember this like i do but the dc sniper they told people to walk like in diagonals on the sidewalk Uh, i do remember (laughs) that. that's what they do to try to like um throw off their predators so i just i think that sometimes we mimic 
nature and it works out and this is just a good example of maybe we weren't trying to but it worked out it worked out anyway so uh during the mating season the males will mate with like several different females but they get so aggressive and they're like need to like take care of the eggs this is my understanding of all this i did look it up a few times that the females will actually hide a few eggs like elsewhere because they'll like stomp on them on accident because they're just so excited but he always goes and finds them and like puts it back in the nest with his little beak and they they lay like up to 30 eggs at a time wow yeah insane um so there are like a hundred rias known in the wild still but there's a lot in zoos so if you're like into birds or you want to help save um an endangered species both the greater and the lesser rhea are both endangered um go check out their videos online because they're just so cute and they'll make you want to send them some monies for sure they're like nick said they're like baby ducks but maybe cuter so i found size but only for but only for the lesser lesser (laughs) The lesser, Rhea. <laughs> but only for the lesser. Um, they're around three feet tall. Perfect. Yeah. They are. Well, maybe that's why. Because yeah. lesser, that seems like a lot lesser than an ostrich. Right, it does. So, yeah. All right. There you have it. So, it was a size thing. And size does not mean lesser. Onwards and upwards. <laughs> so my last animal is actually the predator of the first two animals. Um, oh, circle of life. It really is. But I want Matata, baby. <laughs> when I was looking up animals this time on the side of my screen for all the ads was always like, fun facts about the warthogs. So that's funny. <laughs> I was like, why am I okay. getting fun facts about warthogs? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I do want to mention before we go into this that there are foxes, skunks, armadillos, like all sorts of cute little animals that you can check out in this national park. But I decided to go with the puma. The puma. So the puma is actually not so large of a cat in the cat species in general, but the Patagonian puma is the largest of the species in the Americas. So it's the largest of the pumas. Um, They're very powerful animals. They jump really high. They can run 50 miles per hour, which is 15 miles per hour more than the last two Mm -hmm. critters that we And about 49 miles per hour faster than me. (laughs) (laughs) Samesies. It took her a day and a half to run a half <laughs> um, They have strong back legs, slender bodies, and amazing camouflage. So I'm sure that many people have seen the online pictures or elsewhere where you're like, find the puma. And it takes like forever because they do have incredible camouflage in general. I didn't go seek champs. <laughs> yes. Or um, where's Waldo? But yes. like, where, where's Puma? <laughs> so unlike our last two animals, they're actually pretty solitary. Um, they don't like being in groups. Um, only like right after the cubs are born, will females and cubs like maybe make a little tribe, mm-hmm. something like that, for a little while. But they really just want to be alone. Um, they're nocturnal, but they do come out at night, and they their range. For hunting is 75,000 acres. Wow. That's incredible. And people are fascinated with the pumas. And out of the Patagonia's Torres del Paine is one of the places where you're going to see pumas the most. So people go there for photography and things like that. And while they were poached and things of that nature, it was actually because of tours that would 
bait them so they would leave food out for them so that people could see them that started sort of ruining their entire um, breed there because when you when an animal doesn't have to look for food it forgets how to hunt right and so you cannot go on one of those tours anymore since 2015 but if you go at sunrise or sunset you and they said like give yourself three days you'll probably see a puma okay so um, I I'd want to be there for at least three days anyway. So no one mentioned in any of this that like once again let's go back to um, the porcupine. Oh. <laughs> what was the porcupine movie? Homeward Bound. Homeward Bound. Wasn't there a puma in Homeward Bound? That was actually my question for you. Yes, because slash and pumas are the same. Thing. Okay, great. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> yes. So yes. Yes. Oh, uh, cat read my mind. <laughs> You're such a good team. We should get a jersey. <laughs> so, but no, okay, so no one in all of this mentioned that pumas are, like, scary or, like, might attack a tourist. And so I'm just going to throw that out there that they're still wild animals. If you're going to go take a picture, you probably still also need to be aware of right their abilities and surroundings. Um, <laughs> yes, great advice. Uh, pumas are wild animals. <laughs> Don't mess with the pumas. Excellent. All right. So I do have two plants as well. Okay. Um, I'm going to need you to look this one up. It right. is the Darwin Darwin's Slipper Flower. And while you're looking that up, mm-hmm. um, it is it was noted in, in several places in my research that there are seven or eight different varieties of orchids that grow naturally here, which is awesome because I feel like orchids are more like a rainforest kind yeah. of situation, but I'm wrong. So uh, Darwin's slipper flower, and I have a picture here, but Nick is going to give you a description. What? It looks like they're they're like yellow, red, orange. It kind of looks like a deflated stuffed animal, kind of. They, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like a cartoon. It's cute, right? It's so, it's yeah. It's a cute flower. It has like um, a pear-shaped body and then it has like a distinct head with a yellow head and green eyes. <laughs> and it even has, or green ears, and it even has a nose yeah. and eyes. That is so weird. So one website described them as looking like little orange penguins marching over the rocks. <gasps> That's a better description than mine. <laughs> <laughs> you gave a lot animal. more detail than they did. Oh, yeah, they look like orange penguins. Yes. They even have a white belly. That is crazy. <laughs> They're just so pretty. How so are you these not way out. more famous? I I don't know. Whoa. I um so they grow in cold temperatures and they grow in small colonies. So you're always gonna get like the marching penguin look oh, to yeah. them. Um they are two inches tall, the flower is, and the stems are about four to five inches, so they're really short. And birds like to eat the white part of the bloom, which is good because that's how they get pollinated. So thanks, pollinators. Thanks, all those billion species of birds. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we trashed you earlier, but now we say thank you. Thanks. You did say birds, right? Yes. Okay, good. Yeah, uh, yeah we need to put this on our social media. We're going to post a picture of Darwin's slipper flower on our Instagram. There we go. Because this is just very weird and very cool yeah and also okay so how many finches have you heard about with darwin and they're so boring looking so boring looking. and this flower is just really cool yes 
So as I mentioned several times before, it gets cold here. So um, if you purchase these, beware that there are a lot of counterfeits and that they may not really like to grow in your backyard. They they really do like it cold. Um, but apparently people like to buy these a lot. All right. So my last plant is actually a tree or a bush. I know. It could be either. Mm. It's called the Chilean fire tree or fire bush. And these trees slash bush... <laughs> trees slash bush. These trees slash bushes can be anywhere from like a small shrub to a skinny little tree, but they've also been known to grow up to 60 feet tall. Whoa. And they are truly nothing to write about until they're blooming. Uh-huh. Um, so do you remember the ohia yes. tree? It, it looks it like does. the ohia. It and, does. I mean, it's basically they have these... Great flaming scarlet flowers, as one website put it. They're just clusters of bright red, and they're really, really beautiful. And if you are from the United States or the southern United States, they look like crepe myrtles. Uh-huh. And instead of blooming white and purple and pink like crepe myrtles do, they are bright red. Fire red. Fire red. <laughs> Fire muffin. <laughs> I had to give you that opportunity. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I noticed that pause. Um, yeah. Cool so, tree slash bush. That's my nature for you. Hooray. Hooray. Well, I only have a few fun facts. I feel like we covered a lot of the fun facts just naturally throughout the podcast, but I do have a couple that I would like to point out to you. Same Z's, yes. Okay. I'll start. Los Cuernos, or the horns in English, is part of the Payne Massive, an outcropping of granite peaks nestled comfortably within the heart of the southern Andes and Patagonia. It's a spectacle of erosion and a probe into the depths of time. They are a particular spectacle, mostly due to their shape and coloring. So, on these mountains, these, as the description I just read said, these granite peaks, they like kind of curve. There are two points that like kind of curve and come towards each other and they look like horns. Google it. Google it. Is <laughs> my turn now? Yes. <laughs> so you mentioned something about this, but I wanted to reiterate. So most people have heard about Patagonia and know that it's located in South America, but some may be surprised to know that it is not and has never been regarded as a country or a geographical feature or a political region. It was given this name by the 16th century explorers, probably including Magellan, who reported that this land was inhabited by giants who they called Patagons. Yes. So I'm assuming the giants were these mountains and other geographical peaks. Yes. Oh, cool. So that's where that comes from. Well, now you know. That was a really good one. Thanks. The most highly trekked route in Torres del Paine National Park is called the W. Total length of the circuit is four to six days, and it's about 43 miles. The W circuit often gets mentioned among the world's most impressive trails. Storms can appear suddenly, and winds up to 110 miles per hour have been recorded on some of the plains. Storms are most frequent in summer, but can arise any time of year. Dang. <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> right? That's scary. I had no idea. 110 miles per hour? Yeah. That's wild. Um, so don't go building a house in the park. <laughs> Well, there's a lot of people on boats, too, Yeah, that have been like... That's treacherous. S-O-L. Oh, yeah. Um, well, this one's more fun. In June 2014, scientists... Not more fun, more safe. <laughs> In June 2014, scientists discovered 
fossils of at least 46 ancient specimens of nearly complete skeletons of dolphin-like creatures called the ichthyosaurus, which lived between 245 and 90 million years ago. The finding came after melting glaciers revealed new rock faces beneath. Um, so, as I mentioned, it's really close to Antarctica. I don't know if I've said that enough, but this is really it's close to Antarctica. But by comparison, in the northern hemisphere, London lies slightly further from the equator at a latitude of 51.5 degrees north. So, daylight patterns are similar. Very similar. So, there's up to 17 hours of daylight in the summer. Or, like, none in the winter. That, too. <laughs> Nuts. Yes. Um, my last one is that the most popular time to visit the park are from September to April during the Southern Hemisphere's spring, summer, and autumn. But a visit during winter is also realistic. The temperatures may be a little lower with more wintry showers and the days a little shorter, but many feel that the scenery is even more spectacular in winter. Kind of like our last episode on Christmas in the parks. Exactly. Winter and snow just does that. Um, but if you want to be in more comfortable weather, maybe consider going from September to April. Perfect. And my last one is um, also just a little bit more information on Lady Florence Caroline Dixie. Get a girl. I had to. Her last name is Dixie. Dixie. She was a Scottish writer, war correspondent, and a feminist. Her account of traveling across Patagonia um, was where we got a lot of the inform- the first information about this area. Mm-hmm. But she was also um, one of the key roles in establishing the game of women's association. Oh, the game of women's association football. Yeah, that's what it says. Oh, Organizing okay. ex- exhibition matches for charity. And in 1895, she became the president of the British Ladies Football Club stipulating that the girls should enter into the spirit of the game with heart and soul. Meaning um, soccer? Well, it says football, but it doesn't say American football, and so I'm assuming soccer. Yeah. Is it spelled with a U or two O's? Two O's. Oh, weird. Yeah, that's why I, yeah. But this was the last thing that I found out, so. Okay. But, I mean, we'll it was. We'll go with soccer. 1880. I don't. Thing. No, no. American football, American football did not. Thing, no. Okay, okay. So great, great, that's great. why I didn't even. Yeah, but um, lovely, super love. Thanks, Lady Dixie. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, that's all I got. Cat, do you have any questions, comments, critiques, philosophies, intuitions, or ambiguities? I didn't have one before we started talking, but we talked so much about fire earlier. I think that um, many people don't like the smell of fire on their like hair or clothes, uh-huh. and I love it. Do you? I love it in the moment, but I don't love it afterwards. Yeah. I w- when I wake up in the morning and I like smell my hair and it smells like campfire, I'm like, ooh, I had a good night. Ooh, cat digs it. <laughs> okay. So if anyone knows of any campfire perfume. Shampoo. <laughs> or shampoo, Cat's birthday is in March. So get to shopping. Aw, you're so sweet. Aww. Well, I think that's all I have. Sorry. I, I don't have any. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, you can find this and many more episodes on National Parks, wherever you get your podcasts. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and many more. Follow us on Instagram at MFYEM Podcast. Email us at madeforyouandmepodcast at gmail.com. Like and subscribe. Thanks for your support. You'll hear from us soon. You're beautiful. Bye.